0: Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Neil Thompson Speaks, where we talk to people who broke free of the corporate world's shackles to start their own business. I'm your host, Neil Thompson, official corporate shackle breaker. Today's guest is Robert Perry of Stratus Sales and Technology Consulting. I'm interested to hear about his transition from the mortgage industry to being an entrepreneur, his involvement with Toastmasters, and his future plans. Let's bring him in now. Robert Perry, welcome to Neil Thompson Speaks. Thank you, Neil. Great. Thanks again. Thank you for agreeing to be on the podcast. It's great to have you. First question, as a child, what did you want to be when you grow up? Ooh, that's
1: always a tough question. I don't think I really ever had that much of a plan, I guess. uh, When I first came out, I was peeing, so the doctor told me I was going to be a fireman when I grew up. But uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, most of it really revolved around working for the family's business in aerospace manufacturing. Uh, actually, from pretty much as far back as I can remember, I was working in the family's shop. And I think I first really started working there full time when I was about 12 years old. <laughs> so I don't know if I could have been official or on the books, but you know, I did try to get work done. and. And help out with the family business, even as far back mm-hmm. as then.
0: Well, luckily, I don't think anybody at is going to call in the labor board based on what you did back when you were twelve. <laughs> I think you're all right. I think you're yeah. fine. So it seems that like, so you you work for the family business in aerospace manufacturing. What does that entail? Do?
1: Yeah, well, it's not – I guess I shouldn't say exactly aerospace manufacturing. It's high-precision manufacturing, but a lot of the clients that we had have been in aerospace. Uh, We do a lot of commercial work as well, and it really – it entails mostly work with gears and splines because that's sort of what our specialty is. So I would run, you know, like a gear hobbing machine or a gear shaping machine. Uh, you know, oh, wow. basically industrial machinery, something probably a, a 12-year-old boy should be nowhere near. Uh, but that was, you know, definitely something that my my dad and the family were really interested in having me learn about from from early on, for sure.
0: Wow, that's, that's pretty cool. I mean, back when I was 12, I had a paper route. You were working machines, and you were more, more advanced than I ever was.
1: Yeah, well, I I don't know about that. I mean, early on, it was kind of one of those things where I'd work with, you know, the machinists who kind of knew how to set up the jobs, you know, and, and they would get me started and, you know, and kind of work away with that. But, you know, there was still a lot that you had to learn. Uh, you had to be able to test the parts with various gauges after they'd been cut. You know, some of the parts were pretty sensitive. Like I said, we do really high-precision work. So, you know, you'd, you'd be using a micrometer uh, to test parts in, in some cases and, you know, make sure they were within, you know, tens of thousands of inches of tolerances. So, But usually the tough part, you know, setting up the machine, uh, all, all of that kind of work was, was done by the machinist. So I, I was a glorified button pusher, more or less.
0: Okay. <laughs> it still sounds pretty interesting, much more interesting than delivering newspapers. So you worked for your, this family business. It seems like since you were a kid, did you work there when you first, you know, when you became an adult? Was that your first job? Worked for the family business as well, or did you do something else? Well, I mean, I, I had the jobs kind of
1: like being the newspaper delivery boy, where you know I actually delivered pizzas when I was in college for a time, you know, and and worked uh, various sales jobs, but ultimately that was my goal was to you know, really be involved with the family business and in fact that's what I did as soon as I graduated college as I went out to the east coast to work with the family and I was out there for you know almost a year and then I decided to change plans <laughs> change pace and uh you know came out to to work in the banking industry and in mortgage for for various reasons,
0: yeah so i I know you as someone that worked in mortgage in, in the mortgage industry i I didn't even know anything about aerospace, so eventually you worked in in mortgage for for quite some time, but eventually you decided to to go back to being a, to become an entrepreneur. What motivated you to leave the mortgage industry to embrace self employment? I think what it came
1: down to is with mortgage, especially you are very much beholden to everybody else's schedules. You know, you, you never can can clock out essentially when you're a mortgage professional because you're getting calls essentially around the clock. You're expected to be there from nine to five, but your customers, you know, they want you to be there um, after five o'clock. And, you know, even though I'd heard and studied about top producers really setting their availability in the situation that I was in. I I had to be available at least uh, to my business partners during those hours too. That was kind of the expectation that they had because those were the hours that they worked. And quite often on Sundays I would be expected to attend open houses or host open houses with the agents I was with. So really Saturday was the, only day of the week that wasn't necessarily booked. But if I got a call from an agent who was trying to get in their pre-approval, write an offer on a home, you know, I had to be available. Just to give you an example, I, shortly after I left, I had a lead that I gave to a fellow loan officer and he wasn't available for one day when they called to write a pre-approval letter he got back to them the next day, and by the next day, they'd already found another lender to work with. And he missed out on what was essentially the $4,800 commission opportunity for him. So at a certain point, I think the real wake-up call for me was during Father's Day when my daughter was writing cards and having to describe her dad and basically everything had to do with daddy working all the time. So um, that, okay, that yeah, So. It,
0: one of the wake-up calls okay, for me. Okay, I, I, I got it. So it seems like your work in the, the mortgage industry really disrupted any type of work-life balance that you wanted for yourself, and so you figured perhaps self-employment would at least help you in making that kind of balance. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, precisely. Even though, Even beyond that, though, You know, a lot of what drew me to this point was actually some great things about my employer who I worked for. And they really believe in the philosophy of servant leadership. You know, it's kind of a buzzword these days. And I'm sure you've heard of Simon Sinek's Start With Why. It's a fantastic book. And, you know, his his TED Talk has over – I think it's like 28 million views on how great leaders inspire people. And there was a lot of that focus in the work that I did. I think it's what made the job palatable for, for so long, despite, you know, kind of all the demands is, you know, there really seemed to be a higher purpose and a a reason for, for doing the work. But, you know, when I, when I got down to it and I thought about the reasons why I wanted to work and why I did what I did, one of the things that bothered me the most about mortgage was I would invest an incredible amount of time in certain clients. And at the end of the day, you know, they might just sell me down the river for somebody who had a better interest rate, you know, and it was a considerable amount of my talent and time invested. And I just figured I need to start working in a job where it means more, you know, the work that I do. And I've really got something to show for it at the end of the day. And it just seemed to me working in business to business versus, you know, helping out individual customers, I could accomplish a lot more. And I've been very happy with the results that I've been able to achieve so far with my new business.
0: Okay. Yeah. That sounds great, Robert. One thing that, people who are considering going into business for themselves struggle with is the fear of leaving a job and and jumping into the, the world of entrepreneurship. Did you have any of that fear? And if so, what did you do to get past it? Well, I certainly did. And
1: I would say it was almost a little more terrifying for my wife than it was for me to really have a plan in place I would say you would at least have to have some kind of emergency reserve cushion to fall back on if you're really going to take the leap. And, you know, it's never easy to do, especially when you've got a mortgage to pay and a family to support. For me, it was definitely a pretty calculated risk because at the end of the day, Mm you know, I was very confident that my sales abilities would translate regardless of what field I moved into. And my familiarity with manufacturing over the years and having grown up and done it for so long made it a pretty easy transition. And I've just been able to kind of uh, merge my two skill sets. But at the end of the day, yeah, at the end of the day, it was really, you know, we had some assets. And I have to say the the Volkswagen settlement has helped things out as well, too, because we bought a, a VW diesel last year, and we're actually at a, at a point where we're going to come into a nice windfall from that settlement and resale the vehicle. And one of the nice things that you can do as an entrepreneur is you can finance, you know, a new car, through your company, if you use it primarily for your, your corporate work, this is one of these things that I discussed with my accountant. So basically I'll be able to sell the car, take that money back personally, and then, you know, have that as an additional cushion after you know the, the settlement goes through on November 1st. So it's one of those things you have to plan it out. You want to have some money in the bank, but still, I, I was listening to, Yet another podcast about uh, Sarah Blakely uh, just the other day, and I think she only started with five thousand dollars, and now does she have fifteen billion for her work with Spanx? So
0: wow, that, that's that's quite an increase. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think you can do
1: really well. I think more than anything. You know, what you need to have is is a reason why you want to do it and and a very, you know, solid belief in in what you're going to do and what you're going to accomplish. You know, like Simon Sinek says, everybody knows what they do. You know, many people know how they do it, but very few understand why, you know, and is the basis for forming a company. I think that's pretty essential, that's what my goals were you know, when I when I left. is I had a very clear sense of why I was doing what I was doing and and what I hoped to accomplish.
0: Uh, yeah, that's that's definitely necessary. I'd say be foolish not to have that if you want to start your own business. Definitely need to know why you're going about it. Uh, so tell us a bit about the company, Stratus Sales and Technology Consulting. What do you provide for clients? Yeah, so what I provide for clients is
1: essentially a consulting service. You know, we work specifically with manufacturers. And what I've often found is that manufacturers aren't quite nearly as aggressive on the sales and marketing and business development side as, you know, real estate professionals or mortgage professionals. And I worked with one of the top real estate teams in the nation, the Heller Real Estate Group, and really learned a lot of their sales strategies and tactics. And also had an exceptional team with Movement Mortgage, you know, who gave me great sales training and tactics. But, you know, over the years accumulated a vast amount of sales knowledge because I've been doing it for about 10 years. And what I'm doing now is I'm applying those same principles to you know, prospecting past customer databases, uh, setting up teams with, you know, CRMs that they can use effectively. Uh, I think a lot of manufacturing companies out there, you know, it, they just don't have quite the same systems in place in a in sales sense. So it, it, there's really a lot of low-hanging fruit is what I've discovered. You know, but more than anything, where I've been able to add value the most for the companies that I've consulted with is, you know, in changing their corporate philosophies and helping them re-engineer their cultures.
0: No, that, that, that sounds real interesting, Robert. One of the things that I think we already I already mentioned that reluctant entrepreneurs are thinking about is, is the fear of leaving a corporate job to to, to jump into a business for themselves. I'd say another issue that they come they come with to, to entrepreneurship is well, how do I get clients? You know, obviously, if you if you're in business for yourself, you need clients to be able to sustain yourself. How do you get clients in your business? In my business, the nice
1: thing about it is it, it does happen somewhat naturally. If I'm prospecting a past client database of a manufacturer, I'm going to come across other manufacturers is a company. I have a policy where, you know, typically I'm not going to work with somebody who's a direct competitor of the business that I represent because that's a conflict of interest. But at the same time, you know, they could work with people in other manufacturing areas and that's always an opportunity for me. So every time I'm out there prospecting, you know, doing what I do, you know, I, I'm getting the opportunity to get in front of a, another potential customer essentially. But I'd say, beyond that, in some of the work that I've done prospecting and trying to build business for the companies who I work with, it can be very effective to think outside the box and come up with different ways of meeting with people. I think anytime you can meet with somebody in person, And this is what I heard about uh, Sarah Blakely developing her Spanx business was she was able to get in front of essentially a a commodities manager or um, a a purchasing agent, whatever you would call them, at Neiman Marcus and got an in-person appointment and convinced them to basically put her product in their stores on a trial basis and then went in herself and with her friends and bought up as much product as she possibly could so that it would move in the store. She even went so far as to um, set up stands and move the placement of her product without approval from the company, just to make sure that it would sell better. Uh, But I guess what my point is, is identify the people who you need to get in front of and then figure out any way you possibly can to get in front of them. And that's essentially what I've been doing through Toastmasters is I've cross-referenced my database on LinkedIn against my uh, database with Toastmasters and trying to find people who are in Toastmasters clubs who I want to connect with from LinkedIn and trying to just basically go out and meet them in person and potentially develop a relationship that way. And I've actually effectively gotten into two companies using that strategy. But I think the connections are what's important. You know, any time you have the chance to meet with somebody in person is going to be far better than making a cold call or, you know, worst of all, sending an email. You're likely, very likely not to get a response to an
0: email typically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Definitely. Well, you mentioned Toastmasters. That actually is a great segue into my next question. So as you know, I'm a Toastmaster and you're a Toastmaster. That's actually how we know each other. Just tell the people that are listening more about what Toastmasters provides and how it has helped you in in your career and in your current job.
1: Really, Toastmasters is one of the most cost-effective self-improvement programs out there if you want to think of it that way. And that's essentially what it is because it's there to help people conquer their fear of public speaking. And the wonderful thing about it is that most clubs meet once a week. And if you go to a club and you practice public speaking once a week, undoubtedly you're going to get good at public speaking. But beyond that, there's a behavioral conditioning element to it where if you're getting up in front of people, and you're speaking once a week, and you're getting an applause, and you're getting lots of positive feedback, you're going to get to a point where week after week after week, all of a sudden, you get up to speak in front of a group, and you start to feel great, and you start to feel really positive, and you start to feel energized, and I would say after doing Toastmasters for a few years, that's the greatest benefit to me that I get out of Toastmasters in terms of public speaking, but beyond that, you know, the the other reasons are pretty exceptional. You know, the connections that you're going to form, you know, the people who you're going to meet all of the clubs that I, I've attended, you know, I have really developed close relationships with many of the members. So there really is a club in that sense and, and more so a community that you can become a part of.
0: So I,
1: I'm a raving fan. I, I can't say enough great things about Toastmasters.
0: Oh, yeah, I, I fully agree. M- much like you, I joined Toastmasters a few years ago just to become you know, more proficient in public speaking. I always thought I was not too bad at it, but I thought that, you know, there's always room for improvement. And, boy, just going through the, the Toastmasters program, it's just like you said, probably one of the most cost-effective ways for self-development that there is out there. So if anyone out there is interested in, in learning more about Toastmasters, I highly suggest it. You can go to their website. You can Google it. Uh, I think the, the email is, what, com or maybe Toastmasters.org or something like that? Yeah, anyway, Toastmasters.org. To yeah, Toastmasters.org. You'll and they have just a,
1: really an incredible resource there for finding clubs. You can use it on your mobile phone. Click the button, find a club. It'll ask you to share your location, and you can find clubs within your area. Search by the day of the week that they meet. You know, make sure you're not trying to look at uh, restricted clubs that are locked into certain corporate campuses or advanced clubs that you're required to have met educational requirements to visit. But aside from that, it's it's completely open to the public.
0: Yeah, definitely. I, I, I'm actually a member of a club that's just down the street from where I live. It's very convenient. So in, you have mentioned already that, you know, when you're going into – Self-employment, it's important to have some sort of emergency fund. You also have to figure out who the people that you want to get in front of are and then strategize ways to get in front of those people. Do you have any other recommendations for those who are contemplating going to business for themselves on any advice you have for them?
1: Absolutely.
0: You really have to be organized,
1: and I think it's an imperative to meet with an accountant in the beginning. If you can afford it, an attorney, you know, to help you plan out the the business and make sure you're not missing any unforeseen liabilities. You know, I actually used some great uh, attorneys to help me form my business just because I'm, I'm doing business out of state. And I wanted to make sure that, or I, I'm not technically doing business out of state, but I'm doing business with a company who's outside of the state of California. So, We wanted to make sure that there weren't any potential issues there, unforeseen tax liabilities. So that was a huge consideration, although, you know, the only business that I do is technically within the state of California. But, again, those are other things that you have to be concerned about as a business owner is, you know, what type of liabilities are you taking on? And beyond that, you know, are you planning for what you will owe? in terms of taxes, and that's been a huge concern of mine. Since the beginning, some things are incredibly complex, like doing your payroll. I finally did my first payroll meal, so I'm going to get paid on the 21st my first paycheck for my, my business, so I'm very excited about that. But it's been a couple months already, and, you know, it takes some, it takes some time. So there, there's certainly a learning curve. And I, I don't want to dissuade anybody from jumping in because it's such a fantastic opportunity. But you definitely, you know, you want to consult with an account accountant, especially uh, if you can afford it. You you certainly want to consult with an attorney or at least do your homework and and make sure you're setting your corporation or LLC uh, or whatever up the correct way.
0: Yeah, that's all very good advice uh, to give. Thanks, thanks for giving it. So, Robert, where can people find you and find Stratus? So
1: definitely visit my website. It's www.stratusstc.com. And I can always be reached at robert.perry, that's P as in Peter, E as in Edward, R-R-Y, It's stratusstc.com.
0: Excellent. StratusSTC.com. Again, StratusSTC.com. You can get in touch with Robert there. And Robert, thank you so much for being on Neil Thompson Speaks. This was a treat. You bet, Neil. It's been my pleasure. Well, everyone, that marks the end of this episode of Neil Thompson Speaks. Again, I'd like to thank Robert Perry of Stratus Sales and Technology Consulting for being on the program today.